Okay, and we are back. Hour number two. This will be very important information for a lot of you. Illustrative of what's really going on with Google, which has more tentacles than ten octopi. And Google is also involved in some very, very heavy-duty advanced research, a lot of which we don't even know about. In terms of mapping, learning to control, manipulate, and otherwise influence your DNA, it's all about control, total, absolute, cradle-to-grave control. And here tonight to talk about this is Loren Murray, who broke the story on this program of Google's nefarious deeds, which very few people outside of you folks listening have a clue about. Welcome back, Loren. Oh, good evening, Jeff. Thank you so much. This is um, really exciting to be able to continue updating the the Google story. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. They are doing things. I mean, it, look at that cute little logo, all right? About as harmless-looking and non-threatening as it could be. People just don't understand the power, which is growing enormously all the time. Google has the total sanction and backing of the international elite who are running the show, and they are making uh, really no bones about where they're going, and where they're going is total control. Look what they've done with their satellite, their ground cams going by down your street, uh, unless you really raise hell, your, your picture is on the Internet, your home, your residence, your privacy. What privacy? It's all part of the TSA PSYOP. There are many facets to it of taking your dignity away, breaking you down, and making you completely malleable and easily manipulated and formed into any kind of mass they want. Moran, go ahead. Well, let's talk about the Internet, the history of the Internet, because that really exposes who is behind these programs Mm -hmm. and who the architects are. I was at Livermore Lab as a research scientist from 1989 to 91. And uh, what I learned is that the backbone of the Internet was developed at Livermore. The reason they developed it was out of concern for contractors working for the Department of Defense who had to be physically located close to each other so that they could communicate and um, uh, uh, collaborate on, on DOD projects. And the DOD developed the Internet as a sort of an email system so that contractors could decentralize and be scattered around the United States so that if there was an attack, Mm -hmm. they would not all be taken out by a few bombs in one central location. Sure. So from the beginning to the middle to the present, the Internet is Department of Defense. It's Pentagon. It was set up by the Pentagon. It's controlled by the Pentagon, and it's being used by the Pentagon to control the masses. That is the purpose. There's no other way to describe it. Agreed. So um, then once they got the Internet set up, they gave it to us 
to use like a new Maserati, and everybody had lots of fun for 20 years on the Internet. Well, it's totally addicting, of course. It's completely addicting, but what they're doing is distracting again mm -hmm. the people, the public, the population from social connections, community connections. They are taking people away from daily direct communication right. with the um, their their web of life, the people around them. Right, and it used to be, you make a beautiful point here, not so beautiful, but right on the money, face-to-face -face contact with people, looking them in the eye, three-dimensional sensory input from people, some would suggest four, is crucial to an advancing society. This society has been literally sidetracked into a cul-de-sac, and it's now chasing its tail in a virtual world of nothingness. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's true. It's nothing. It's what they do, what I've, what I've finally realized is that each time they give us something new and modern and wonderful that will improve our lives, what they're doing is actually taking away something that was vital to our humanity, to our spirituality, to our connectedness, and giving us something that is a piece of junk. And I've come to the conclusion, although I've used the Internet in just to have a tremendous advantage in being able to do um, research that sure. it wouldn't be possible to no, do in a, in a library. That's the bait. It's a drug you cannot deny. Yep. I mean, it, it's totally... It's heroin yeah. through sure. the DSL line. Yep, there you go. That's, that's it. So what they've done is to um, set up the Internet, get us addicted to it, and then they started developing the programs, the applications. So the first one was Microsoft and Bill Gates. And Microsoft was set up so that there would be one global operating system that the U.S. government had a backdoor into for all computers everywhere in the world. Right. Then they set up Google as a search engine and... Uh, let's just look at the background of the two guys who supposedly set it up. Larry Page One, and Sergey Brin. That's right. Now, Sergey Brin is a, he was born in Russia, so he's from an immigrant family. But listen to this. His father was a mathematician who worked at the University of Maryland, and his mother worked for NASA. I didn't know that one. That's, that's, well, it's just, it's like a blueprint line. And yeah. that is exactly where Sergey Brin and Larry Page park their private jets. Of course. It's at the NASA facility. Mm -hmm. They don't have to go through TSA. Gosh, what a surprise. Right. Larry Page is, um, he's an American. Um, his parents were both computer science professors at Michigan State University, and his father was one of the top experts in the United States on artificial intelligence. Now, Sergey Brin married a Polish-American woman called Anne Wojcicki, 
And she had started, actually, Sergey and Larry Page started Google in the garage of her sister. And uh, Anne had started a company, uh, a startup company before she married Sergey Brin called 23andMe. Mm-hmm. Now, we have 23 chromosomes on our DNA. And that company was set up so that Anne could voluntarily connect DNA from people through the Internet who would pay her $1,000 to assess their DNA and then advise them on good marital <laughs> uh, matches for them through, scam. Yeah. through DNA matching. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is Larry Page married Lucinda Southworth who has a Ph.D. in biological information systems. That's pretty interesting, and those sure do sound like CIA marriages. Yep. Um, so uh, as soon as Anne Wojcicki married Sergey Brin, um, she was given millions of dollars in venture capital from uh, Google the she day of she the got wedding. A, yeah, the, I think she got $20 million just to start. Right. And I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and... I drive over the San Francisco Bay Bridge or around the East Bay um, fairly frequently, and I can't tell you in the last year how many times I have seen that blimp from down there in the South Bay where they park their airplanes. Uh, there's a huge blimp, and on the side of it is painted 23 and Me. And it spends all day and all weekend flying over San Francisco Bay Area advertising her company. Now, you know, you might say or ask Jeff or someone else might ask, well, so if somebody wants to give their DNA and find out whether a partner, a potential partner is suited or not, you might say, well, that's, that's just their business. But that's not true because if you get one person's DNA in the family, you have everyone. That's right. All right, hold on. Lorraine Murray is our guest tonight, a longtime friend of good people everywhere on the planet. Her work on depleted uranium, of course, really knows uh, no bounds and needs not much of an introduction. She's talked about it too many times to count around the world and on this program as well. We're talking about Google and DNA and control. And we'll be back. Okay, back with Lorraine Murray. Next time you hit the Google search function, just keep in mind that your finger is doing a lot more than simply looking up information. You're helping to propel a monster on the planet. It is a beast. It's unbelievable yes. what's going on. Go ahead. It's, un- it's unbelievable. And what I want to emphasize is that Google, Microsoft, Facebook, and the social networking websites, eBay, Skype, Google Mail, Yahoo Mail, PayPal, these are all the same entity. They're all integrated. They get bought and sold and traded around, and they usually have a a youthful face like Mark Zuckerberg or Sergey Brin or Bill Gates or Larry Page on the face of them, but these are all... U.S. Navy and military operations, and Sergey Brin's ties through his mother to NASA really do expose that. 
Now, um, I know a physicist in Berkeley who told me that in the 1970s, in the laboratory that he was working in, um, they were tracking people in the lab by the electromagnetic frequency emitted by individuals' DNA. In other words, every living thing is an antenna that transmits and receives. We're on an electrical system, and the DNA in every living thing has a unique frequency and signal. Believe it or not, that is what they're using, what they're focusing on, and what they're weaponizing to completely control us. The DNA Human Genome Project was carried out at the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, where I was a staff scientist for five years. But the Lawrence Livermore Lab, Los Alamos National Lab, these are all nuclear weapons labs, were also involved. That means the military because the nuclear weapons labs exist for the Pentagon and the Pentagon exists for the oil companies. So the Human Genome Project was set up and well-funded to experiment and to research and to describe, to quantify and qualify the human genome. Now, how would they use that? Well, what we know about Google is that they are doing DNA surveys from space. This would be NASA and the Navy. NASA is run by the Navy. Um, they have been tracking and identifying isolated populations, for instance, in the Amazon, who have never had contact with uh, Western people. These are villages of isolated people who are still living their traditional hunter-gatherer lives, right. and they've, they've never seen a Westerner. Um, that's just, that's not just humans. They are also doing a global species survey. And I've been tracking this for two years and noticed that many new species are being discovered. Uh, and it seems to be on a grid system. So they're doing a survey from space and they went down uh, the west coast of South America and then came up the east coast and now they're in Southeast Asia. And if you watch in the news, um, about once a week they come up with a new article and photos on new species they've discovered. This is part of the United Nations Agenda 21 program, which is to identify all species and to do a complete global inventory of humans and animals. And what uh, David Rockefeller has said about Agenda 21 is that uh, in the end, we're going to have a chip on every person, and they will only be allowed to take out of the system what they put into it. In other words, if you work 12 hours a day, you're allowed to take 12 hours of something of value out of the system, but nothing more. 
That is total slavery. That is reducing humanity to being robots. That is eliminating spirituality. It's eliminating free choice. It's eliminating everything that makes us human beings. Do you agree? Sounds right to me. And so, um, so what, what is going on? The J. Craig Venter Institute, which mm-hmm. you sent me the article, right. um, has their mission as, uh, quote, to forge new life forms, unquote. And they are also involved in manipulated computer code on DNA. What does this mean? Well, Dr. Helen Wallace from GeneWatch in 2002 said, we are in great danger, and she described this as a massive DNA database by the back door. Do you have any comments, Jeff? We have to take a break here, and we'll be back. This is a uh, subject that is, is very difficult to for the average person to accept. Uh, the article is up at Rens.com. I've forgotten the title of the article, Loren. What is it? Oh, uh, just a second. Um, it's called um, White House Gives Go-Ahead for Elitists to Control DNA. That's right. Okay, I'm going to pull December 20th, yeah, I'll pull the article back up. Yes. All right, stand by. We'll be back in just a minute. Okay, back with Loren Murray. What interests me about this whole thing, Loren, is, is uh, and you do this all the time and many of you listening do as well, you look into the background of the people, the principals, and find out what their roots are. And if you look into Venter's background, I mean, you, you've, the guy is pretty well known. I mean, if you follow this whole issue of, uh, of genetic mapping, uh, Craig Venter is, is right there. He was actually charging people over $700,000 in the early 2000s, somewhere around there, to... Uh, to map their, their DNA and give them a map. $700,000. That's right. Now, what this does sociologically, of course, is it begins to set up a caste system here, which we already have, but this is a different way of doing it. And I don't, I don't know where it's all going to go, but it's, it's clearly hurtling forward at a pace that is, is pretty damn scary if you understand the potential of control here, which is complete. I think I can explain where this is going to go. The J. Craig Venter Institute is a CIA and military operation. Well, no surprise and, there, of course. And anyone in science with money and status is supported by these vested interests or they wouldn't get that money. They're giving the answers that the money interests want. And so what he's developing or that institute is developing under his guidance, is the very software of life. And what they're doing is using computing, medicine, technology, and the police state to converge into basically what is creating a totalitarian scientific oligarchy. And their purpose is to get this information and use it in discriminatory programs where the rich benefit and the poor 
are impacted negatively by these programs. And the second part of that agenda is the depopulation initiatives. Now, a really good example about this biopiracy is the Indonesian health minister. Her name is Siti Badela Supari. And in 2007, she wrote a paper with uh, four other researchers who worked for her explaining why they had made the decision to halt the sharing of viral isolates of the avian flu in the Indonesian population. They no longer would share it with the World Health Organization. I remember that very well. Mm -hmm. 2007. Mm -hmm. And they had been cooperating fully and giving uh, samples to right. the WHO, the Centers for right. Disease Control. And, and then they Hong offered, Kong. and then, well, they stopped making their sequences available, and then they offered to sell them. I mean, it was a pretty weird turnaround there, but go ahead, please. Uh, well, there was a huge public outcry, and, and there were a lot of uh, negative um, reactions to her. Uh, from the vested interests and their their uh, operatives. But she said, we have halted this uh, sharing of the viral material uh, because of exploitation of biological resources of third world countries, poorer countries. And so there they perceived it was a discriminatory program and it would be used against them, and they were correct. Right. And whether it was for depopulation or whatever it was, uh -huh. they knew money was behind it, and she was absolutely right. Doesn't the U.S. Navy have a, a I guess it's a, a will be a bioweapons lab in Indonesia? Oh, they probably have them all over the world. But, I mean, there's um, one that's well known there, I'm pretty sure. The U.S. is pretty involved in Indonesia. That's why Obama went there on this last trip, mm -hmm. this recent trip. Mm -hmm. um, but... They're also talking about the, the uh, Venture Institute. They're talking about a synthetic genome or the ability to replicate entire organisms' hereditary history. So these are not simple programs. These are very sophisticated and very complex programs. Now, I did an interview on February 3rd, 2008, with Dr. Wynne Parker, who um, has a program called Parker's Pathways. You could probably um, um, Google it and find it on the Internet. It was two hours, and what I talked about was nanoparticle toxicity, and this includes fluoride, chloramine, chemtrails, depleted uranium, and then also nanoparticle mobility, how very, very mobile nanoparticles are, and a very new discovery that I had found just weeks before that interview. Um, I saw all these press releases coming out, a flurry of them from the UC Berkeley campus, from the Lawrence Berkeley Lab, from the National Science Foundation, from the National Academy of Sciences, and I said, this has to be a huge discovery. And what it was, Jeff, was a laboratory on the UC Berkeley campus had demonstrated with a nanoparticle, they transmitted a well-known song 
to that nanoparticle and they had a receiver to capture and replay that song that was transmitted from that nanoparticle. I remember so hearing it. I remember hearing it. They had it up on YouTube, didn't they? Right. Mm-hmm. And they it's still I think on the the laboratory website on at UC Berkeley. But I went, "Oh my god. What in the world is the application of that?" Right. This is huge because all those scientific the whole scientific establishment in the US would not be so excited. And so on the air I was talking about depleted uranium and the tremendous affinity it has for the DNA and mitochondria because uranium and phosphate structures um, just have had, they have a love affair all through the universe. And that means that when people are exposed to uranium particles from these wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and Yugoslavia, and by the way, it's over here in two weeks, uh, in the U.S., and, and we're inhaling it. Sure, all the time. It, it sticks to our DNA and our mitochondria that provide all the energy for the body. So I think we're taking a break. We are. You have good yeah. ears. Uh, they have also monitoring stations set up all around the world to track the spread of depleted uranium. Uh, they being, you know who they are. They know what's Absolutely. going on. Exactly. They and know where every atom is. When this when this uh, was first discovered by the U.S. military in 1943, well, American scientists discovered it, the decision was made not to use it for obvious reasons. Somebody made the decision to go ahead and use it against the people in Yugoslavia and then Iraq, knowing full well what would happen. And that's a party I would like to see brought to justice, whoever that was. Back in just a minute. Okay, back with Loren Murray talking about very big things that are going on right now as we speak at a very rapid rate. All right, Loren, go ahead. We have one segment left already. It's fascinating. I know. So as I was sitting there describing all of this to Dr. Parker, and I was talking about HARP, this is all all integrated into the HARP system, um, I knew that Dr. Parker, when Parker was not his real name, I knew he was a CIA scientist. I knew he'd worked for the U.S. government, for the Department of Defense, for the World Health Organization, and the U.N. at different times. And I knew that he was a microbiologist who had um, he had read uh, proposals, grant proposals, research proposals, research papers. Um, he knew the whole field uh, because he had to advise the government. And so I just sort of said, Dr. Parker, what is the application of this discovery uh-huh. that nanoparticles are transmitters? And he caught his breath and he said, well, it's to redesign the human genome. That's all, huh? <laughs> That's gonna, all. They're going to create a new species is what they're talking about here. It's basically. to create anything they want to. Right. It's That's to right. repeat anything they want to. It's this totalitarian, insane scientific oligarchy that's run by psychopaths and they think they can do anything they want to. Well, it's so now, far nobody's around to stop them, unfortunately. Now, what is what is transmitting and receiving that's around us? Well, how about cell phones? 
mm-hmm. in the in the um, megahertz frequency band. These are some abstracts that I'm going to just read the titles of. Uh, this is 1996. Single and double-strand DNA breaks in rat brain cells after acute exposure to radio frequency electromagnetic radiation. Mm-hmm. And they used the cell phone frequencies. Here's another one, 1997. Melatonin and a trap compound block radio frequency electromagnetic radiation-induced DNA strand breaks in rat brain cells. Mm. Here's another one, 1995. Mm. Oh, I've already talked about that. Um, Here's another one, 1998. Structural and functional changes in proteins induced by free radical mediated oxidative stress, this is about free radicals, and protection, you can use chemicals to protect the cells. Um, Okay, so then what I noticed in these uh, citations and abstracts is that in the years after 2000, the focus changed. So here's one from 2004, extremely low frequency electromagnetic field as effectors of cellular responses in vitro, possible immune cell activation. So they can boost immunity, but they can also lower it. This is another one, 1995. Um, Microwaves from GSM mobile telephones affect uh, a certain chromosome, and um, human lymphocytes, those are blood cells, from hypersensitive and healthy persons. So this one, oh, let's see. There's another one. I'm on the wrong. It's a, it's just literally amazing what can and is being done on the back of what seems like a very innocuous and convenient telecommunications system platform, cell phones, microwaves. Right. Uh, they're able to do all kinds of things, and they are doing them. And they are also using the, the electric grid to do things. I've told the story about the lily wave many times. Go ahead. Yes, this is another one. Uh, This is published in 2010. Effect of radio frequency electromagnetic radiation on passive avoidance behavior and brain morphology in Wistar rest. Passive avoidance behavior is when you and I are speaking about these horrific things other people are trying to warn uh, citizens of the world, and they're just not interested. Mm-hmm. That is passive avoidance behavior, mm-hmm. and you can cause it with cell phones. Now, this is another one. Pathophysiology of cell phone radiation, oxidative stress, that's from free radicals, and carcinogenesis with focus on male reproductive systems. So they're talking about sterility, about cancer, and about altering people's behavior. And the airport scanners are doing the same thing. Wouldn't surprise me. No. I'm amazed that, that uh, people, there's very little attention being paid to the electric grid. And as all of you listening know, it is surrounding you and everybody you know. 24 hours a day. 
your home, your office, it doesn't matter. It's, it's called wiring in your walls. And that 60 hertz electric service that you rely on to power your goodies can also be used to carry any kind of telecommunication business you can imagine. And I would submit mind and behavior altering and control platforms as well. It's all doable. Well, if they don't want to use the electric grid and hard wires, they can go to the microwave systems, interlock throughout the cellular broadcast systems in this country. They can tap in anywhere, anytime they want to. It's it's very simple to do. It's very simple to do because we are electrical systems and we transmit and receive just like any other antenna. We're electrical first and chemical second, and unfortunately most people don't understand that. We are they- electric beings. That's right, and uh, a lot of this was described in the 1930s in the lectures that Bertrand Russell gave at Oxford University. They were uh, printed or published in a book in 1952 Mm -hmm. called The Impact of Science on Society, and I would like to read a paragraph if that's okay. Yeah, we have uh, three minutes, so you have to Okay. A totalitarian government with a scientific bent might do things that to us would seem horrifying. The Nazis were more scientific than the present rulers of Russia and were more inclined to the atrocities that I have in mind. If they had survived, they would probably have soon taken to scientific breeding. Any nation which adopts this practice will, within a generation, secure great military advantages. The system, one may surmise, will be something like this, except possibly in the governing aristocracy. All but 5% of males and 30% of females will be sterilized. The 30% of females will be expected to spend the years from 18 to 40 in reproduction in order to secure adequate cannon fodder. As a rule, Artificial insemination will be preferred to the natural method. The unsterilized, if they desire the pleasures of love, will usually have to seek them with sterilized partners. In other words, Jeff, Bertrand Russell's message Mm -hmm. is that wild reproduction is no longer an option. Yeah, loud and clear. Interesting, isn't it, also how the initials A.I., stand for artificial insemination and artificial intelligence. Uh, Probably lots of other A's, too, but uh, those two come to mind. Very interesting. Yeah. So so basically, they have unlimited budgets. They have an unlimited scientific body in universities to do all this research. And today, over 50% of scientific research money in universities comes from the, the Pentagon. It's amazing. You look at a university and you think, ah, nice, benign, passive institution for higher education and enlightenment, when in point of fact, they are the men and women who create the weapons of mass destruction, mass social engineering, engineering of information, engineering of societal change and development. It's all being done there. Now, the military doesn't do it very much at all. They contract it out to these people, and it's all money. Everybody's got a price, apparently. And they are the prostitutes of the wealthy just as much as the military and organized crime are. 
the the ruling elite stand on those three legs. Couldn't agree more. Talk to them and they'll say, well, we're just doing our job here. They don't well, want they, to think. They, Go ahead. They have no conscience about it. No. Most of them don't. Very they don't care. Serious. They don't want to know. They don't. They don't look beyond their little laboratories and what they're doing with their grant money. They don't want to know down the road that they may be literally participating in the deaths of millions of people. And that's a fact. It is a fact. And, um, you know, the the uranium levels, I plotted them on a graph for Los Angeles, 1999 to 2009. And the Los Los Angeles Department of Water and Power has been measuring uranium in the drinking water there uh-huh. Since 1999, mm-hmm. and you can actually see the big battles in the water, the uranium levels in Los Angeles drinking water. And what's happening in Los Angeles schools is that the boys are disappearing from the classroom. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 the decade, it's the century of disappearing males now. Well, they're being feminized by the culture on top of everything else. So what what chance does the average male really have long term? The dominance of the female, the uh, estrogens and phytoestrogens and and how many different foods? Everything. Yeah, it's all over. Loren, thank you again for enlightening us so much. I appreciate you very much, and uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Thank you, and we all appreciate you so much and wish you a Merry Christmas, too. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Loren Moray, and there you have it. All right. Hour three coming up.